Welcome to the TX Water Polo Podcast. Today's going to be a little bit different. We have Mark Lawrence from Austin College. Mark, how are you doing? Good. How's it going? Good, good, good. James is out of town this week. So um, he's off like kind of traveling the world, kind of like what he does. And um, was it a, just going to be me and you just talking about, uh, about, about some different things? How are you doing kind of with your family and, uh, and COVID? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing great. Um, we've been pretty much hermit crabs this whole time. So, um, took this opportunity to update our house and do a bunch of errands, um, and take care of our puppy. So, uh, our family's expanding in about seven weeks. So getting ready for that and just been pretty boring. So, but boring equals safe and, uh, healthy. So, so yeah. it's been really good. Yeah. Boring is safe and healthy. And, with a new puppy and the new baby, things are going to be changing for you a little bit. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be, my world's going to flip upside down. Are you, are you ready for this? Oh yeah, I, I, I think I'm ready. Um, I don't want to be overconfident, but between my brothers and friends, I have an army of nephews and nieces that I was always a babysitter for. I'm super excited about it. I uh, think my wife doesn't, she, this is, um, she doesn't have any nephews or nieces by like within her uh, family, she has a couple of friends with babies. So I think she's a little bit more nervous, maybe. But uh, I don't know. I think we're we're both really excited, um, and yeah, it's gonna be really yeah, fun. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gone down that thing about having a kid yet. My wife and I are still kind of going back and forth, but it's one of those things where everybody says you're not quite ready until you actually have it. You don't really know what you're doing. Absolutely, I I, I feel like I'm gonna be full of confidence and ready to go from my experience as like the favorite uncle, and then it's gonna show up, and I have no idea what to do and figure it out on on the fly a little bit. But we're really excited. So okay, okay, all right. Well, um, well, good luck with that. I mean, and uh, was it now off to the water polo stuff? I mean. Yep. We're just going to jump right in. Austin College is postponing the men's season. Yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, it's really consistent with what we've done with all of our fall sports. So um, going into the fall, uh, say roughly like a month ago, we came up with the idea that, uh, not the idea, but the plan that everyone's going to follow their specific conference. But we got to a point where all the sports on campus had been postponed for the fall, and uh, we were the only sport left. So I sat down with our athletic director who eventually sat down with our, with our school president. And um, we, we all were, were in agreement that with the landscape of the nation right now and all the other programs within our sport being postponed as well, uh, we have to really look at the safety of, of our athletes first. And um, since we're so geographically isolated, we have to fly everywhere. So it's not just being on the plane, but it's going through the airport. It's being exposed to people, you know, at, at the terminal, at the check-in, um, on the air on the aircraft at you know the car rentals so it's just um the uh, school made the choice that uh, you know our safety for the athletes will postpone the season um which i think we all get we all kind of saw coming but at the same time what's great that i've explained to our guys is that like the keyword is postponed and not canceled um we've we've also agreed as a school that if there's a season to be had this winter or spring and it's going to be safe for the athletes that we're going to participate so we're still um really excited for this, this academic year and what some of the goals can be. So, I mean, so, I mean, are, are the students going back in person to Austin College this, yeah, later this month? Or they guess, are. Yeah, so all the athletes at Austin College, they have a choice to, to study, study remote for the fall semester um, or be in person on, on campus. 
Now, if they if they study remote, they can't hang out at their friends in their friends' dorm all semester, study remote, and show up for practice. Um, you're all in for campus, or you're all in all in uh, 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 remote. And I think our athletes just miss their friends so much. They miss being on campus so much. Um, our school has done a phenomenal job of making our campus safe with different different guidelines, along with the NCAA. So uh, all of our kids are coming back, and we're going to do the best that we possibly can to ensure that they can still have a student athlete experience this fall and stay safe and do well academically. I mean, so I mean, are are you going to get to practice? Yes, um, we're still figuring out what does what does are going to look like. Um, if we do have the NCAA just came out with with, with Division three, I really pay attention to the, the Division three landscape right now more so, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, where the the traditional season, non-traditional season, which kind of dictates how much you could train uh, during those times, aren't going to exist this year. So essentially, if our season gets moved to the spring, then we'll follow off-season training this fall, and we'll try and maximize that. So um, we're still trying to figure out what that's going to look like, following NCAA guidelines, uh, following school guidelines. So um, we're hoping for like a like a four to six or four to five week um, training season this fall, which also includes weightlifting and uh, cardio and uh, uh, conditioning as well in uh, classrooms. So we're really hoping for like almost like an off season, but um, we have to kind of wait and see, but we are going to train in, in some fashion this fall. Yeah. I am I, sure the NCAA is, uh, has their hands full of dealing with everything else, like everybody yeah. else right now. We all are dealing with the fallout from the COVID stuff. And uh, it's um, it's one of those things where uh, getting down to the off season training rules is probably not, not necessarily their, their priority right this second. Yeah, for sure. Um, but like, I mean, so a little bit more about the details. I mean, so like if, so as far as your men's season is concerned, if like, if you do play in your crystal ball, kind of what do you think would, um, yeah, kind of is the most likely kind of situation? Yeah, I think if we end up having a season and we end up playing, I think what's going to be pretty likely is that we're going to head out west uh, for the entire season. Um, this year, you know, it's it's really it's kind of a jigsaw puzzle to figure out what all's going on. So I think this year we'll stick stick to our MPSF conference. So if they move things to the spring and winter, um, we'll follow them. And if that means we're competing on an MPSF only conference schedule, uh, so be it. But um, I, I would imagine our, our season will be heavy West Coast, um, hoping to be about 60, at, at least 60, 75% of what it was going to be. So uh, the good thing for us is that we're super young. Uh, we're, we, don't have a, we have one senior, but he's gonna stay for that, that, that extra fall semester. So we don't graduate anybody. And um, so this year, the silver lining for us is that we're really young and we, whatever kind of season we have, we'll, we're gonna use the build for the future, so. No, good. And then, so as, I mean, as far as you know, so what are the other schools that have also postponed? I, I, I believe the Ivy Leagues and the CBPA yeah. postponed, right? Pretty much everyone East Coast, either via the conference or their school has postponed. I think there's a handful of schools out East. Uh, some of the, like the D2 schools, Penn State Baron, are still waiting to see what their, what, what their traditional conferences do. Um, yeah. So they still might be trying to do something outside of what the CWPA <laughs> normally does. Uh, sorry. And then um, out, the out, reasons out west, <laughs> yeah, so there's the puppy. Um, out west, they, um, I think they're about 50-50 trying to figure out who's, gonna, who's, who's playing. But the majority of the schools that have not postponed yet are out on the west coast. And 
I think they're still trying to kind of figure out what their landscape is going to look like. Okay. I mean, and uh, I mean, NCAAs is still technically like the NCAA championships are still technically uh, in December, but I mean, I guess is the NCAA in charge or are are the schools in charge? I mean, I would think that the NCAA is kind of, they have to react to what the schools are doing. So if the majority of the schools are going to be kind of postponing, they'll have to delay it to a later time. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm just curious on your thoughts or, or any inside information for that. Yeah, I think, I mean, we have, we're well over the 50% mark of schools that have postponed their season. So I would imagine if there's going to be an NCAA championship this year, that it's going to have to be done in the springtime. But then the, it brings up the question of what happens if um, your top schools from, say, the Big West or the MPSF um, don't. Obviously, there's no Big West on the men's side, but those schools have programs uh, in the WWPA and the Gold Coast. So it comes down to what the top programs are, are going to be doing as, as well. Um, I think realistically this year you're going to see a season where um, if different conferences are doing different things on different timelines, that you're going to play a season where the, your conference championship is going to be like the, your NCAA championship for this year. So your conference championship will be the end-all, be-all. And I think it's going to be really tough and what we have to figure out. And that's my guess. And simply because what, say, the NPSF does when they overlap men and women's for those coaches who do both sports might be different than what the CWPA or the Gold Coast does with, with what might be easiest for those programs that have single coaches. So, um, yeah, my guess is that it's going to be all about your conference championship this year. And, uh, but I think you're right. If the majority of the schools are going being postponed, I think championships will be as, as well. It'd be challenging to have a championship avoid eight teams, eight or 12 teams playing in the fall. A lot of it's just guesswork right now, you know, it's just it's and kind of the rules are today, it's going to be different tomorrow, and then you're going to have to reevaluate next week again. So it's just kind of, yeah, kind of how it is. But there is there is the NCAA waiver, which um, can you explain that a little bit? So, if I mean, yeah, as far as the athletes that this is, I, spe- I guess this is specifically for the men's season. Correct. Yeah. All, all, all the women from the spring got the NCAA the NCAA waiver, so um, they got to play a partial season, but they'll get that season back. Uh, for the men, essentially, as I understand it, for, for, for the Division three level, um, if we play less than 50% of our season due to COVID, then we are going to get a waiver for those athletes. So essentially, the NCAA rule is you have 21 play dates to uh, play as many competitions as you want. So the amount of games don't really matter. It's all about the actual play dates. Um, if we play 10 or less play dates, then our guys should be eligible for a, a waiver um, to where they could carry that on to uh, during play during grad school or whatever they choose it to do with, with that. So um, that's our understanding of the waiver right now. But if the NCAA pushes the whole season to the spring across the country, that might change on how that waiver works. So uh, right now it's more of a school to school while there's uh, who are being impacted with, with COVID. So. Yeah, just yeah, just talking about yeah, yeah, some other schools, and we talked about this kind of before we started recording. Um, the ASU men's and women's swim team—they decided to redshirt everybody this year. Thoughts on that? I mean, I just thought that was very unique and uh, and kind of creative too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends on where you are as as a school, right? What you can provide your student athletes, the resources um, academically and athletically, but 
Uh, I used to work at ASU very sh at a really brief stint there as a um, team manager under Todd, and it was an awesome experience. But I saw firsthand that that school has everything to offer. So they have so many different grad school programs to where if they if those if those athletes are eligible for the waiver um, or just using their redshirt year and they stay for grad school, um, that school provides so much. So I think a school like that, that idea is pretty it's pretty smart, pretty great. Um, if you have a scholarship funds and like flexibility to do so awesome um you know i think a school like 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 austin college a division three school that might not have a lot of grad school programs um you know i'm not sure if a, a smaller university that's division one that would be the best the best avenue but yeah. i think every school is different and what you provide your student athletes so I just thought it was uh, creative and uh, and kind of different. And you're our resident uh, college coach, so I figured I'd yeah. ask you about it a little yeah. bit. But um, I mean, obviously, there's some parallels between the this past spring, what your women went through, and what your men are about to go through. So I mean, obviously, I mean, you're just tell us a little bit about about the girls' season and kind of how that ended up. I mean, your girls ended up kind of doing really well for that first conference weekend, and um, and Obviously, there was the, uh, I don't know, the like the virtual championships, kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, I mean, I thought I thought y'all did great. Just yeah, just kind of, yeah, just tell us kind of your thoughts on it. Um, I thought the women did, did a fantastic job. Like they did a great job. Um, and, you know, from an outsider's perspective, you know, there's things that we did with our planning that people wouldn't know. So I think, you know, as I explained that, it makes a little bit more sense why I think they did a phenomenal job. But we, our goal, um, you know, projecting the season to be normal, schedule-wise, timeline-wise, prior to COVID, we wanted to throw our girls to the fire early on in the season. So we went to Brown, and we literally had four team practices because of the new Division three rules. Uh, we did, a, we did a, a lot during the fall by choice to implement style of play, uh, philosophies, things like that. So we only really had four, four days of team practices. And then we went to Brown and played five, five great programs, uh, four division ones. And I thought the girls did amazing for not being in, in full shape, uh, working on like, like team chemistry, um, X, Y, and Z. You know, they played really well. And then we did the same thing in California. We ended up to California a month later when we were in shape. And I thought the girls played really well against great competition, but that was the goal. Like we didn't care what their record was after those two trips, we wanted to, to get better. We wanted to challenge ourselves and um, just ignore what the record was and play a really tough schedule. So then we went into conference and we got to see like the fruits of that labor and we got to see what the result that was. And we had a phenomenal conference weekend. We went 4-0. Our goal differential was over 40 goals for the entire weekend. Um, and we have some good, we have some very good players and coaches in our conference. So um, it wasn't so much um, how the other teams were. It was just some, it was more so how well we played. And uh, we were really excited and really happy with what the girls were doing and the trajectory that they're on. Um, this specific group I have is probably, you know, hopefully none of my current or former teams or athletes say take this in a negative way because it's more of a compliment because I've had some phenomenal kids and I have some phenomenal kids um, and programs in the past. But this women's team specifically right now, as far as like work ethic and understanding our, our program culture, like they just get it, you know, they really understand it. They do a phenomenal job every day in practice and everyone's extremely selfless. So um, 
they just really embraced the, what we're trying to do as a program. And I thought our conference weekend really showed. And it was really heartbreaking that our season ended. But um, up until that point, you know, I thought we were, we were having a really great season. So, no, I mean, um, just from an outsider kind of looking in, um, I was looking forward to seeing you guys just whoop up and go undefeated and go out and compete and possibly win the Division Three National Championship. So. Yeah, I think I mean, that's our goal is to build up towards where those Skyhawk schools are. So, like, we look at, like, like Cal, uh, uh, for the women's side, Calu, CMS, Pomona, Whittier, like, and they're, I mean, the whole conference is good. So we, we're trying to catch those programs, and I thought, I, I think we're on the right path. Uh, one thing we're really proud of that I don't think I talked, I think it got lost in COVID a little bit with everything going on. Um, our, our women's team had the most amount of, ac- of academic honors uh, for, for Division three in the entire country. And then for, for, for uh, 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 athletic um, honors, um, we had as many uh, as anyone else in the entire country. So like ac- academic, All-Americans, all, all athletic ones, um, we were either first or tied for first in both categories. So mm-hmm. it's something that we're just extremely proud of, you know. Unfortunately, I can't get out the the All American part. Three A's in a row is challenging for my stuttering. But hey, <laughs> but I'm right there with you. People are going to struggle <laughs> so, getting through this podcast. But, um, I have my own ums and ahs myself. Yeah, so. for sure. So no, but um, it's something that we're really proud of to be at the very top for academic honors, to be tied at the very top for uh, athletic honors, to have a sophomore make first team. I know it's a shortened season, but at the same time. Uh, so, something that we're just ex- extremely proud of. So, no, no, me, no. And congrats to the success. I, I kind of wish you the best of luck. Kind of once you get back to school and practicing and playing, hopefully this, yeah, this school year. One thing that you're going to have to deal with, that everybody has to deal with now, are the new NCAA rules. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, for those that are listening and don't know kind of what we're talking about, there were new NCAA rules that were passed this past May. Um, and it's basically the USA water polo rules for the majority of them. There's a, there's a couple kind of little things kind of here or there, but thoughts on those rules now being played in college? Um, I mean, I think there's a difference between like initial thoughts, reading the rule on paper and then seeing how it's implemented in, in the water um, and seeing how it's going to, because it's not going to exactly play out the way that you read it on paper. Um, but I'm, I'm pretty excited for it. I mean, I'm a defensive coach first. I, I was a defensive player first. I played for defensive-minded coaches. And, like, I'm never really a fan when we alter the, the, the rules that create uh, easier goal opportunities. But at the same time, I think no matter how we alter the rules, we saw this with, like, when we moved seven meters up, 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 up to five meters. I think coaches in defense always catch up. So now that I've taken that approach, that the defenses will, will always kind of figure it out and catch up a little bit, I'm pretty excited for it. I'm, I'm really curious on how, like, new goalie rules are going to work. I think that's going to impact how coaches use uh, 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 timeouts, how coaches manage the end of a quarter, how coaches create new plays uh, to attack certain, certain situations but not be vulnerable on the other end by shooting too fast. Um, I think it's going to have a – huge, uh, I don't think, obviously it's going to have a huge change and impact on how like the end of the game is going to be handled in a close game. So I think that's what I'm super curious about and super interested in. And I'm pretty sure that I'm going to go into these games with a great philosophy with these new rules and to see the rules implemented in person 
then be like, okay, crap, like how did some of these better programs adjust and what kind of adjustments we need to make? But I'm pretty excited for them just see, um, there's no reason to fight it. So you might as well just figure out how we, how we adjust as well as possible. And, uh, you know, well, I mean, it's going to be an adjustment period for the players, the coaches, the referees. Yeah. Now, the good thing is these rules aren't like just brand new. They yeah. have been used internationally for a couple of years. They have been used as far as USA water pole for a year or so. Um, so, I mean, there are going to be kids that have played them before. There's going to be kids that have, or like, there's plenty of game tape out there to watch and see how different people do yeah. like yell at the end of quarter or at the end of game kind of you yell like they pulled the goalie out. Um, it's, I was a little skeptical at first with the new rules. I mean, and then, you know, I watched some games uh, last fall and, um, or I guess not last fall, but the year before that. And I started kind of coming on board a little bit. I really didn't get to watch too many games in person because USA Warpole didn't really decide to implement all of them in 2019. So I went and saw the ODP in person this past January. And I started, it wasn't that big of a difference. I thought it was going to be a larger difference and it really wasn't that big of a difference. Now that just might be the coaches haven't figured out how to use them yet. uh, And yeah, and such, but you know, there's just the little things to make sure that you put the ball in play. Yeah. And I I, I think that's the rule that's going to be, the most beneficial is like, okay, after a foul, how do we define making a wire pull move that makes the ball live? Because, um, you know, it's kind of funny. Like I put my foot in my mouth, which I do all the time with the referees. And then normally you know, I realize I'm wrong after, after the fact. But we all do. We all do. When I was, yeah, when I was with uh, Navy, we were playing UC Davis. And, uh, you know, Amber is one of the best referees in the entire uh, nation, obviously, and then more so. And she and I had a great conversation after our game about what, what signifies making a ball live um, after a foul, you know, you know, what kind of arm motion, wrist motion, uh, things of that nature. But it seems like the pain, every referee has a different kind of perspective of it. So I think now with the new rule, that's going to be more streamlined, which is going to be great because I can tell you what we experienced in the, in, in the Midwest this spring with our women's team was not the same as what we experienced with them out in California as far as that specific rule. So I think clarification on that's going to be really great. And a lot of the coaches quite know that went overseas, you know, a year or two ago when FINA first adopted some of these rules, they weren't sure what they thought when they read it on paper. But once they started coaching games, they absolutely loved the, the uh, new rules. So I'm really excited for it um, and see kind of. Well, as far as that one specific thing, and, and I think you just kind of described this, but um that putting the ball in play and what's a water pole move is now instead of a big gray area for up for interpretation, it's more black and white now. Yeah. And that's, and to me that gives the referee one less thing to think about. And hundred percent. And if the referees can be a little bit more on task and they're, and they're like, they just know I do this, it's X and Y as opposed to, oh, well, maybe, I don't know. I think that's going to make for a better game for everybody, including the referee. I mean, it just, I, anything to make it a little bit easier for like everybody yeah, to understand is going to be better. And, yeah. um, and I mean, it's just that, you know, I did see at the ODP championships back in January, this was the first time a lot of the referees were kind of roughing the new rule. Right. So it was like, it was, if they did like, if the, if the player kind of came up and they did not make that pass right away, it, it was a turnover. So it was like, okay, okay. 
we get that. I get that. But you got to give them a little bit more chance. I mean, it was it was even to the ball coming over from like after the ball sh- kind of shot over the goal. The ball comes into the goalie, and the goalie has a hand on the ball, and then they're not making a pass right away. It's it, it's a turnover. Okay, that's not necessarily the meaning yeah. of the rule. But I mean, so it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period. But um, I think it's it makes the game a little bit faster, a little bit easier. Um, you're going to have to be a little bit more creative on defense. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, was it obviously? Um, it's going to be. It's going to create a lot more movement. You have to be like like the players that have the better technique, especially, you know, like if your hands are down. Okay, you're going to get kicked out. You're going to get the penalty shot. You're going to get this, especially inside that expanded kind of like you know scoring zone that they have now. Um, it's just that you know, but it's. I think it's going to bring some fun back to the game a little bit too. So. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, it's it's definitely going to open. Uh, op- open up more two meter play, which I think I'm biased. I, I was a guard in college. And when I played, played, played overseas, I was a center. Um, so I'm a little bit biased, I guess, but opening up that two meter play, I think is the most exciting part about front court offense and, and defense both. So being able to, for the new rules to open that up a little bit more on, on, on both sides and let those, those players really, really showcase and, and uh, compete will be, very exciting. So I think that's definitely your center side coming out because your center defender is going to want some help sometimes. So, yeah. 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 There's, yeah. Yeah. There's only one rule that I just don't like on the new rules and I just don't like it. I just wish that they would have come up with some sort of creative solution for it. But this is me just like, you know, basically everything that was five meters has now moved out to six meters, except for one thing, the penalty shot which is yeah. still going to be at five meters. So as a, as a person that puts on events, you're like, Oh, we still have to figure out the, like the cone for five meters. It still has to be there. We have to get new lane lines. I don't know. It's like, yeah. why couldn't they have come up with a creative way to do a penalty shot from six meters? Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's a great question. Like I personally think, um, I mean, I think five meters is, is too close. I thought, that way back years ago when they moved it from seven up to five. Um, I think it's too close, but you know, I think having those, having, having those lines streamlined would be, the, I, I, I think the smart thing. Like if everything's at six meters, put the penalty shot at six meters. Um, not just lo- logistically, but from a fan's perspective, uh, you know, and I think defensively as a coach, you know, when you, when you, when you take pickouts, whatever, uh, for your goalies, there's a huge difference. Um, and maybe they felt that just favors the defense too much to move it back, almost like it penalizes the shooter too much. Because I think it's much harder to score from six meters and then so on from seven than it is from five, obviously. So um, maybe that has something to do with it. But I was hoping to do something where you can fake or something like that. You can do some different things. You know, you can start moving in a little bit, you know, like on the whistle. Then, yeah, and yeah, and then you can move in. So then you have to, to maybe push back the defense a little bit. I don't know. I, I was thinking that you could have come up with something creative to create a little bit different excitement. But just one less cone on the pool deck would have been nice. Yeah, absolutely. That's all. That's all. Yeah. And that's just and that's just and, that, and that's just me. But overall, the best yeah, the best part about the about the new rules for college is ninety five percent of the rules are the same between college, high school, USA water polo, which is youth. So, and I don't think we've ever had that ever. Yeah, no, I think that's going to be great. So I think it'll also help 
you know, I think there's, I mean, across the board, we do a great job of developing referees. Um, I think the biggest challenge with that is not, is not having consistency when, as you develop them through the different ranks. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this just within like Texas, you know, in the past, um, but now having consistency with the rules is going to be much, is going to be much better for these, for getting young referees, developing them. And, um, you know, they're the most important thing with our game besides the players is that, you know, we can't get better as programs without having great referees and so forth. Um, and that works the opposite way. So I think having the consistency all the way up is great for the athletes and great for coaches and great for referees. Um, so I think that'll be a, a massive benefit, you know. I mean, it's also going to, it's also going to be easier for you to um, like, you don't have to go to JOs and see one set of rules and then have to say, okay, how are they going to adjust to our set of rules? Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah, you get like type thing. And plus, I mean, you have lots of lots and lots of Texas athletes on your teams, both boys and girls. I mean, just generally a very general answer here. Yeah. For those people that are listening and possibly think about going to college, what are kind of the top two or three things that college coaches are looking for from a kid that wants to play that wants to go from high school club and go play in college? No, I think every coach will tell you something a little bit differently. I mean, for me, um, my biggest thing is, is this culture. And it doesn't matter. Is like the culture that we build as, as a program and what that kid's character is. And does that character tie into uh, our culture? You know, it doesn't matter if you're Division One, Division Three, whatever it is, Division Two. Because um, I've, I've been fortunate enough to work out all different levels. Um, that's my biggest thing. So, like, one thing I think that kids never really think about is, and I, and I know a lot of coaches look for this, um, but it's like, how, how's that kid's kid acting you know during a game but like body language wise um how are they acting attitude wise after a game uh during timeouts i think things like this is what i look for like obviously every coach looks for specific skill sets um do they have the skill sets that fits into our program and how we want to play but i think the biggest thing for me is just attitude and, and character we um every single school i've worked at we've passed up on a kid due to character um whether it's worked out for us or not. But we've done that at every single school I've, I've worked at because I think that's, that's so important. Um, you could probably say the same from when you were a coach uh, at the college level and then also with the youth level. We've all been a part of programs that have overachieved because those kids are phenomenal character-wise. Yeah. We've all been a part of programs that were phenomenal talent-wise but heavily underachieved because they couldn't figure it out character-wise. So for me, I always look at um, – interactions that they have with coaches during a game like if they call a timeout there's a quarter break like are they engaged or are they flowing on the lane line two feet away uh you know spitting water um after a call that they don't like good or bad like what's their body language like you know um are they winning and losing with class and one of the things that i always love to see is like love to see i guess is a hard thing but hard hard way to put it but like after a, a kid loses a really emotional game a really important game how do they handle that so like you go to jo's or like texas state championships um a lot of times you'll see like you know like the overwhelming the overbearing mom comes over to the kid after they just had a heartbreaking game like how, how do they interact with their with their parents or their peers or their coaches in that moment you know are they being um are they kind of losing with class are they because because it, 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 it's okay to be heartbroken it's okay to be upset but how you channel that emotion, I think, is something that I learned from one of the coaches who I really look up to, that that's a, that, that's a point that we watch. You know, in the Texas State Championships, I could probably say there's been two kids that we didn't have that much interest in, um, not because they weren't great players, and I'm sure they're great kids, 
but you know how they interacted after heartbreaking losses and how they treated other, other people on, on the pool deck in the first five to ten minutes for for me it was just like cool we're gonna go find someone who will fit in better so i think that's a great message for kids is like when you think you're not being watched because the game's not taking place you're still being watched you know and i think that's a great message for kids that they don't think and i think coaches don't think about that so like if you're in a timeout break if you get two kickouts and you get put up put on the bench like are you pouting it in the back and being not caring or are you sitting front row and you're helping your your teammates verbally and you know uh supporting them like like you emotionally um are you engaged in timeouts are you respectful on, on the pool deck even to parents you know just things like that is what i watch for coaches now, are always watching coaches yeah. are always watching and it's and it's not just even at games and stuff. It's it's also on like you know recruiting trips and such. I had a couple of girls. This is back in my Houston days, that got recruited to an East Coast school and they were on, on a recruiting trip. And was it? I was talking to the coach afterwards, and he was just um, he goes, "We were interested, but yeah, 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 but we're not now." I go, "What happened?" He goes, "Well, you know, I don't know what happened. They they must have had a good time the night before." But then they came out to watch practice the next day and they just sat up in the bleachers and slept. Yeah. So if they can't fake it and get yeah. through that, I don't really yeah. want them. I go, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I think sometimes the, like, like the prospective athlete is saying, well, I'm going to see if I like this school. Well, you know what? On that recruiting trip, they're also seeing if they like you or not too. 100 percent and i try try and tell kids that like you're you're evaluating us if we're a good fit for you but we're doing the same to you as a program and like this was a little bit more minor but you know our our first year playing here we had two athletes who um came in and when they were literally here having meet like meetings with like academic reps myself players like q a um we were literally having a one-way conversation while they're just on on their phones texting friends and also like doing whatever they're doing and it's like, cool, like, I don't want to waste your time. You don't want to waste my time. Like, thank you. You know, so it's like, um, I think kids sometimes forget that they're always being watched, you know, even at competitions, like I was talking about. And I think a lot of times they forget that we're trying to figure out who's going to fit for us because we might only bring in four or five kids. And even at a smaller school like Austin College, but we're still selecting from 15 kids who want to be here, you know. So um, I think those things are really important. And you don't have to be a perfect right just be yourself and hopefully being yourself is also being genuine yeah i mean it's it's about finding the best fit yeah not just because it's the best water polo program or or whatever no you got to find what where you feel comfortable with yeah it's and that's not just the athlete but it's also you know you've got to feel you got to bring in people that you feel comfortable with as a coach and i mean and it's and i cannot agree with you more as far as the chemistry is yeah is concerned the intangibles um because those things add up and they are going to be big 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 and i mean and and as far as in the pool play is concerned the one thing that i tell all the athletes besides all the other stuff that that yeah that you just mentioned is you better swim hard on offense and defense and you better know how to play defense because if you can't, you're not going to play in college period. and i go you better be like i mean it's like oh well I only do center defense. No, you don't. You better know how to guard, um, or like kind of, kind of come over your hips and swim, swim with the driver, or kind of know how to do a twenty-four split, or know how to do a four-five drop, or whatever. 
and you better have that head on a swivel and listening. So, and that's, and that, and that starts whenever you're 12. Yeah. And there's always those kids that all they care about is scoring goals. Well, you know what? There's a thousand of you people out there that know how to score goals. Okay. But who can swim hard and play defense? Does those win water polo games? Yeah, hundred percent. And like, you know, we've had this conversation about kids, you know, um, like a couple specific kids in Texas, not necessarily that were coming to Austin College, but, you know, we were, talk- we were watching them play and seeing where they might end up and maybe why they didn't go to one school um, and why maybe they dropped to like a different school in their mind. But I think a lot of times is those things that like, like coaches look for. And it's like, are you, if you're a defensive center, like, are you sprinting from two to two? Like, are you driving that center? Uh, are you only working hard in one aspect of the game because that's your favorite? You know, are you facilitating for other people? Or like, what are you doing away from the ball? And is that, is that action important to you? And I, and, I, and I think those are like a lot of things that like um, kids and sometimes coaches don't even think about, but college coaches look for like, we need six, six people in the water at all times. They're gonna sprint up and down and play fast and play hard um, and not fall asleep and not care about one thing. You know, we'd rather have you know, I don't want to say rather have, I guess, but um, it's always great to have six people who, who could create and facilitate and work hard together in the water versus one person who's just good at shooting the ball hard and that's it, you know? So, and, and we've had some great conversations about that, comparing maybe two teammates um, yeah. you were on one team or saying, why, why did this kid not go to a, say like a bigger program? Um, and a lot of times it just comes down to really small, small details, you know? I mean, I mean, and I, and I can agree more. And you just, and you said something in there that, you know, I think we'll just kind of, just kind of sum it all up. Do you care? Yeah. And the coaches can see it. Body language, effort, you know, interactions. It's, do you care? Because if you don't care or you try to come off like I'm too, uh, uh, I'm too cool for school and stuff. You know what? It's going to be tough for you to go to college and make an impact. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you know, not, not supporting uh, like teammates when they have success because you're, you're upset because you're having a bad game or you didn't get, you know, the, the state team that you were hoping to get or whatever the case is, like, especially in a place like Texas, it's such a small, not small community with the amount of people that play. I mean, small community in the sense where almost everyone knows everyone and you go to ODP and the amount of all these high level tournaments in the state. A lot of times these kids, even if they're from different cities, are still, they're still friends through competition. And, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's great to see when kids like support each other when they're super positive, even, you know, uh, versus kids who, you know, kind of choose to go down the opposite way and have a pity party or be really negative. So, you know, these things are all so, so important. So, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Mark, thank you so much for coming on the TX Waterfall yeah. podcast. Absolutely. Great thank you for, for James yeah, we might have to make you a more permanent sub, but um, it's 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 one of those things where good luck uh, with the new baby coming here this fall, Thank you. and with the big old Great Dane that you have somewhere <laughs> around you, probably close and barking in the background, and good luck making trips back to Home Depot and stuff. Right? Yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time, Joe, and uh, have a have a good one. So, uh, take care. All right. Thanks, Jeff.